Thank you, Rachel. So I am so disappointed to get to preach today. <laughs> but I'm actually really excited about preaching uh, and sharing some things with you. But uh, the, the disappointment is really personal. So uh, Katie, my amazing wife, um, has just been on, a, has been on a journey to recover her voice, recovering from spiritual trauma and spiritual abuse that she's experienced, uh, to the point where she was ready to teach for the first time here. And it was going to be today. <laughs> um, and I am grateful that I get to share some of the message that, that she had to share, and she's going to teach soon. So I'm, I'm happy about those things. But she gave me, like, four pages of beautiful insights for Palm Sunday, and I'm going to try to convey, like, approximately one of them. So you would get more if Katie were here, but uh, I will do my best to share at least some of this. And what I want to focus on today, so Lent is a season of, of repentance, and we're closing the season of Lent. We're arriving at uh, Good Friday and then Easter next Sunday. And so we're, we're closing out this season of repentance. And the Greek word for that is, is metanoia. And I want to dig into this idea of metanoia and some of the different things it can mean and really try to convey that a, a little bit of metanoia can be incredibly powerful. And so the basic meaning of metanoia, if you look for a standard translation, it really means change your mind. Um, even today, we, we talk about the noetic. If people are into philosophy, like we borrow this word from Greek, and it refers to stuff related to knowledge, right? It actually sounds kind of like our word knowledge in some ways, too. And so change your mind is not a terrible starting point for what this word means. Uh, but part of it means, it, it means really that you're apprehending something. When you're talking about your mind part of it, it's like when you solve a puzzle, that moment when things come together and there's a moment of insight and inspiration that changes the way you see things, um, often in ways that cause you to regret things that may have gone wrong. But I think there's also just an enormous excitement in those kinds of moments, at least for me, because I'm like, yay, I get to learn something, or yay, I get to fix something. Yay, we get to learn and grow, as, as we say to my daughter, Clara. But it often also goes from the ideas of perception. And so metanoia can also really refer to, like, finally, I see how things are, and I can't unsee it. And sometimes, just for example, if our spouse or our church or our country, if some entity is cheating on us, and you have a moment where you perceive that that's happening, and you can't unsee it, right? And, and you regret maybe where things have gone. That can be a moment of metanoia. So now I'm not talking about just stuff in your head, but stuff in our perceptions. But it can also mean a change of heart. And I, that captures so much for us, so much of sort of the emotional aspect of what it means to have this sort of moment of metanoia. And change of heart is also a really good meaning. Uh, and in the biblical context, the heart is the seat of the will. And so it's what determine sort of what direction we're going and, and where we're at. And, uh, and so metanoia can be all of that or part of it. Sometimes we put something together intellectually. Sometimes we see or perceive something. Sometimes our heart changes deeply, and then that can change the whole of us. And so that's what the idea of metanoia is. And I'm glad to get to dig into sort of a question that I really love, which is how much metanoia is enough? How much metanoia is enough? And part of what I want to suggest is that a little bit can go farther than you might think. But to start, I want to share a poem that uh, my friend John McCollum 
shared with me this week. I think it's one of your favorite poems. And uh, it's just amazing. So this is by William Carlos Williams. And it is, this is just to say, and it's really a fantastic poem about metanoia. I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious. So sweet and so cold. <laughs> and it's a funny poem, right? And part of the, I think the beauty of the poem is uh, I'm not sure how much metanoia there really is there, right? <laughs> with, the, with the focus on how delicious and sweet and cold they were. But so John and I were playing with the new GPT-4 stuff, and I was trying to sh suggest that it's not actually that great at poetry yet for all of the other things it does. And so he asked uh, it to do a, uh, a poem about my preaching without any further context than that, although it might have been aware, it's like linked into the internet, it might have been aware that it's Lent. But anyways, here's what it had to say. Um, so it started just the same as that poem. This is just to say. This is just to say, I have listened to the sermon that you preached on Sunday and which you probably hoped would inspire me to repent. Forgive me. It was boring, so dull, and so long. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's true. All right, so uh, <laughs> this is great. I, I actually I was impressed with GPT-4, right? Because it's playing in the same space, right? And it, and it raises the same question as what is... What is metanoia really? I mean, um, and that, that's a little bit of the, you know, I'm so sorry you did such a bad job. I'm so sorry you felt hurt, right? Um, but it also opens up sort of these deep questions, I think, in, in a great way. Um, and for me, part of it, and part of why I love it and why I'm happy to share it, is I really believe in the depths of my heart that preaching isn't about me being interesting and exciting or sharp and incisive. Um, it's really about creating a space where, at least for some of us, God meets us and God draws us into something that God is doing. And so, you know, I don't know if, and so I suspect that GPT-4 might not have had the fullest experience of metanoia that it could have had in asking for forgiveness there. But part of what I want to suggest is that God can work with even a little bit. And one other, so there's another poem that I want to share. This is from uh, Tracy Chapman. It's actually part of a, a song that I love. It's She Got Her Ticket. And this one captures the way in English we can use the idea of a change of mind to also capture that full range of change in our perceptions, change in our thinking, and a change in our heart and, and our direction. And uh, it, the song starts, and it's She's Got Her Ticket. I think she's going to use it. I think she's going to fly away. No one should try and stop her, persuade her with their power. She knows that her mind is made, and she pauses, and she goes, up. Right? Her mind is made up, right? And with metanoia, it can also mean that a change of mind such that our mind is made up. So with this idea of metanoia in mind, I want to read a little bit of Luke to get us ready for the Palm Sunday reading. And I want to ask, this is the thing that Katie pointed out to me that just really like lit my mind on fire and lit my heart on fire. And the question here is, where do we think the real moment of metanoia is in the story of the prodigal son? I'm not going to read the whole story. I think a lot of us know it. Kid asks his dad for all the money, goes and blows it, uh, and then has a moment where he says, but when he came to himself, 
the son said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he went off to his father, but his father rushes to him compassionately and embraces him. And he says that. He actually says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And part of what I want to suggest here is that we often feel like the moment of metanoia is this anguished, heartfelt moment of repentance. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, right? This is what we, I think, draw to mind with repentance. And I do think that remorse really is part of this. That's, that's, that's not entirely wrong. But I think the moment of true metanoia here was just this very simple one. He's sitting there starving, eating garbage, and he says, my dad's better than this. Now, how much better? Like, how, does he understand how much better his dad is than that? How much more gracious and loving and forgiving? No, he doesn't, right? Like, his, his pattern of forgiveness, he hasn't grasped just the depths and the, the riches of his father's kindness. All he's seen is he's just had this little moment of insight of, like, that will be slightly less bad than this that I'm in. And the rest, the story itself critiques our idea of what that repentance looks like beyond that, right? In a sense, he, he overdoes it. And I would suggest that when he says this to his father, the story starts with the son insulting his father by basically saying, give me my inheritance, which is, I mean, even today, if you go to your parents and say, hey, give me all my inheritance money and I'm going to blow it, and I'm going to just blow town, like, there's an implication that I wish you were dead. Right? Like, there's like, I can't wait for you to be dead and for me to get the money. How about we just cut, cut ahead to the chase there? But here again, in this moment, I think he insults his father again here at the end. When, he, when he, he insults his father's grace, he says, I know you would never be that kind. Right? But his father isn't insulted there either. He responds with love and with welcome. And so, it's, so for metanoia, and when we think of repentance, it encourages us to think of a moment where our hearts are turned because we see the goodness and the beauty of God. And that's maybe what we should really try to invite most fully here. And so last week, I'm almost up to the Palm Sunday reading. So last week we had a beautiful discussion on the passage in Matthew 4 and the prophecy. Uh, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so this theme of repentance sets up the whole discussion in Scripture, and there is a deep transformation that Jesus then is inviting us to, and through all of Matthew, which we will spend the next seven years reading through, perhaps, or maybe just the next year, we're slowly working our way through Matthew as a church. Um, 
But through that, you start to get this image of, of Jesus and who he is and how he heals and helps and transforms and confronts the unjust power structures. Um, and then that leads up to Matthew 21 and this triumphal entry into the city. And so I want to pause for a moment and just uh, invite the Holy Spirit to maybe give us a moment of heart and mind and perception-changing encounter as we really think about this passage and think about what it would mean if we really think that this sort of king is how things really, is representing how things really work and that this is really what the deepest kind of power looks like. So come Holy Spirit, I ask for moments of metanoia as we encounter the scripture here. Matthew 21. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed, him, directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus, the truth speaker from Nazareth in Galilee. I really think that the Christian life is just a process of trying to have that change of mind, that change of heart, that change of perception that Jesus is inviting us into in this moment. And it is this moment of saying, I need God. I, I actually, we need God's power. There's no sense here in which God is not actually active and powerful and changing things, but that that power comes in a very different way than the way it manifests in empire, than the way it manifests through abusive systems of control and domination, which um, are certainly present in our society in all kinds of ways, that are present in the church, in the world, in all kinds of ways. Um, and it's a process of seeing that uh, something that uh, a friend of mine in college had on his shirt that always struck with me, which is like, if, if you want... Part of what I sum up that metanoia is, is uh, you don't have to screw people over to survive. It doesn't have to be that way. It just absolutely doesn't have to be that way. Um, it is that way. We do that. <laughs> but it's not because it has to be that way. It's because contrary to God's will and contrary to God's way of doing things and contrary to the way the world actually works, um, 
we've, we choose individually and in our family systems and in our nations and in our world, um, at times people choose a destructive path that ultimately peters its way out, but that does maybe help some people get rich for a little while along the way before they can live in memory um, for, for maybe what they missed. But so, and the image there that really pulls all of that together there is this donkey, right? And the contrast in the prophetic literature here that it's citing, the contrast that is really drawn is between a war horse and a donkey. And you think about what a war horse is for, and it's for war, right? You can, you know, it's fast, it's powerful. Uh, if you try to ride into battle on a donkey, you are, you are doing the wrong thing with your donkey. Right? You, uh, you, uh, a donkey is a beast of burden. It's an agricultural animal. Uh, it is used to cultivate land and tend um, spaces like that and to, to carry goods to give and share to people. There's so much power that's conveyed in this, this idea um, of the king actually riding a donkey. And I think part of the moment of metanoia here, that change of mind, change of perception, change of heart that happens, is that plenty of people had access to that prophecy at the time. And plenty of us have access to uh, the New Testament revelation where Jesus actually dies on a Roman cross and, and his victory isn't at all like that. And we, and we still don't want to see it on some level or we still miss it on some level. But that moment of metanoia where you behold that and you say, wait, I want to live in that world. My, my heart is set on living in that world. And I think that that is the real world. And this other way of doing things, it happens. Wars happen, death happens. I'm not minimizing or ignoring any of that. But the idea that there's an excuse, that there's a need for it to happen, that we can't do better. I think that moment of metanoia is the moment of, of transformative remorse where we realize we can live in this other world. We can step into this kingdom of Jesus. And when we see it, you realize that it's just possible to start walking there. And it doesn't mean that everything gets fixed right away. Right? But it means that when our orientation changes, and I know for me, I mean, I studied a lot of economics in college. I was very interested in that. I'm fascinated by the way all of that world works. The world of competition and things like that. And there's, there's maybe a space for that. But there was a moment when I realized, and some of it did involve reading enough sociology, reading enough about how society actually functions, uh, where I realized that that's not, like it doesn't have to be that way. That's not the only way that people thrive. And for me, another insight that then ties us all the way back to the start of Matthew with the birth narrative and, the, and the, all of the beginnings and the generations that we, we meditated on, is the thing that breaks that for me is the idea of, What's actually involved in making a healthy human being? What's involved in raising a child? Do you, do you just pour love into them and give them attention and also help them get boundaries and learn and grow, right? Or do you like, you know, say, this kid can't make me any money, so I'm just gonna leave them out and uh, tough luck kid, right? <laughs> like, like all of society, all of economic activity, all of politics, everything, it depends on people just pouring grace and love into people. Everything depends on that. It absolutely does. That's, that's our reality. That's absolutely our reality. And to be stripped of those illusions and to see that and then to say, how then will we live seeing that? 
That's what it looks like when the kingdom of Jesus breaks into our world and into our hearts and healing and love and justice and transformation and, contra- and, and confrontations with the evils and the powers and the principalities of this world. Um, that all comes along with it. And so, yeah, I think that's what metanoia is. And I think that that's what the metanoia is that Palm Sunday invites us into. And now maybe I am going a little long and boring. So (laughs) I would like to open things up. So one thing that we're doing on quite a few Sundays lately uh, is just opening up the microphone. If anybody has any word or anything that they'd like to share with the congregation. So if there's anything uh, you feel like you're hearing from God or just that you'd like to share about what's going on in life, um, we'll leave the microphone here. And this is a total zero pressure situation. So I also invite you to just quietly meditate. And if nobody comes up and takes the mic, that's also like completely fine. Uh, And I'm going to set a timer for a few minutes and we will do that. So come Holy Spirit. Be in our sharing here too. So we're moving towards communion time. And uh, for communion, we practice open communion, which means that if anyone wants to participate, you are welcome to participate. Uh, We have bread and grape juice, as well as um, contained cups for people who are more concerned about sharing from the plate. And uh, I want to share the lyrics of a song that uh, my friend Stephen brought to my mind here, but I'd like to introduce the communion liturgy with these words, because I think it it expresses the heart of how we practice communion uh, just really beautifully. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Come meet this mighty crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. 
that sin and shame that you brought with you. You can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. So come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. To the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the younger and the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and all the princes, all who fail, all you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who have been labeled right or wrong, to everyone who hears this song, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. I really like that. <laughs> and that's part of what it means, and that's what Easter is leading us into, is the central celebration of the year of this, is that um, Jesus, in order to welcome literally everyone, said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Continue to do this in remembrance of me. And it was a simple and transformative and powerful thing that has continued to invite us into a deepening experience of metanoia for thousands of years. And we're going to keep doing it until God is all in all. Please come to the table.